0: Well, happy Tuesday, everybody. Is it hot where you are? Well, if it is, I'm going to cool you down today. That music in the background, that's a little bit of Philandia by Sibelius. And uh, it's fitting music because our story today is going to take us way up to the Arctic Circle. It's a good one. We're going to tell you about it in a minute. But this is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. On Tuesdays, we have a drama, and so today we are going to offer you an episode of Escape. Frank Lovejoy and Wilms Herbert are going to be the protagonist and the antagonist up in the uh, far reaches of Canada, way up by the Arctic Circle, and it's a really good story. And then Chester has um, chosen something to play at the end of the Escape story, so uh, you can look forward to that. It's... uh, it's something that i think is very fitting and i'm glad he came up with. It. so anyway, make yourselves comfortable, get to get situated because we're going to come right back in a minute with an episode of escape from april the 6th no, excuse me, may the 16th, 1948 and the name of it is the match.
1: Fighting your way through a frozen wilderness, torn by the icy blast of an arctic blizzard and driving you on towards certain death is a man with a gun from whom you cannot escape.
2: Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure.
1: Tonight we escape to the Canadian North Woods, to a lonely wilderness where justice finds strange paths, as James Oliver Kerwood told it in his famous story, The Match.
3: Just below the Arctic Circle, where blizzards scream in the winter and tear frozen branches from the pine trees, where the driven sleet cuts human skin like flying glass, there men know and fear the eternal spirit of the icy north, the great cold spirit that weaves the patterns of human destiny, both weaves and destroys. Forever and again, the spirit throws out strange swirls of chance and coincidence that meet eventually in a terrible whirlpool, which swallows up the old pattern and creates some new and different one for men to wonder and marvel at. One such swirl in time and space began months ago and far to the south, in a logging camp near the southern border of Canada. Where two men faced each other on a narrow trail in the light of a full moon. It began in violence and hatred. What do you want,
4: Loring? Thorne, I've been talking to Jeannie. She told me what you did. Well, what about it? She told me all of it, the whole thing. Hmm,
1: too bad, Loring, but if you can't keep your wife from casting her eye around, then that's your tough luck. There were no eyes cast around, and you know it. All right, then. What are you going to do about it?
4: I'm not sure yet.
1: Then I'll tell you. Nothing. You haven't got a leg to stand on. I'm running this camp, and every man in it. If you don't like what I do, then get out. I'm planning to stay. In that case, you'd better get used to the way I run things, men and women. And the next time I drop in... Why, you dirty... That's it, eh?
4: Well, then... Drop that knife, Thorn. Drop it! Get up, Thorn. Come on, get up on your feet. Get up, Thorn. What's the matter with you? Thorn. Thorn. That rock under his head. He's... He's dead. Jeannie. Billy.
5: Billy, what's wrong?
4: Jeannie, I ran into Thorne a few minutes ago. Oh,
5: Billy. Your hands. What did you do?
4: I hit him, Jeannie. He started to pull a knife, so I knocked him down. His head hit a rock when he fell. He's dead.
5: No. Oh,
4: no. They probably won't find Thorne till morning, so I've got to get out of here in the next half hour. Leave? I'm new here, Jeannie. They don't know me. It's just my word. I wouldn't have a chance. Where will we go? Not you. You're going to take the baby and go back to the cottage in New York State.
5: But where are you planning to go?
4: North, honey. A long ways north. I'll have a better chance up there in the woods.
5: They'll catch you, Billy. They always do.
4: Don't worry. They won't catch me. And somehow, sooner or later, we're going to be back together again. Believe me. (laughs)
3: And so in the south... one black swirl of chance is born... and moves slowly northward through time and space... moves even as the great arctic storms... move across the faces of continents... and there ahead of it... among the tumbled ridges of spruce and pine... another swirl of human fate moves... at the whim of the bleak spirit of that frozen land... moves first one way... Then another, but centers always near one certain red-coated uniform of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Centers on the hard, lean figure of a man called Sergeant Brokaw. Oh, nice shot, Sergeant. Thanks, Trooper. Uh, the captain sent Peter. To... Wait, there's one more target still
4: up out there. Oh,
1: dead center.
4: Brother, I wish I could shoot like that. Work on it. Good shooting, something you'll need if you stay in the Mounties. I guess it's helped you plenty of times. Yeah, a few. What have you got there, telegram? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, it's an order the captain told me to bring out to you. Here. Mm. Let's see. Special assignment for apprehension and return of a fugitive. Name Billy Loring. Height 5 feet 11 inches. Weight, and so on and so on. Last seen near Hobbs Landing on October 3rd and reported heading north. Wanted for murder. Sergeant Brokaw signed. instruction, bring back fugitive. They make it sound plenty simple, Sergeant. Bring back fugitive. That's just the way it ought to sound. When you're assigned to bring a man in, you bring him in. That's all there's to it. There's no excuse and no alibi for not doing it. You can take my word on it, Trooper. I've been doing it for 12 years. And so far, you've never missed getting your man? Not so far, not ever. When I go after a man, I'm going to get him. Sooner or later. And one way or another, I'm going to bring him back. Every time. And that goes for this, what's-his-name, Loring. You can bet your life on it.
3: And so they grew in time and space, these two great swirls of chance, the one hovering in the north And the other moving toward it slowly across a thousand miles and through 227 days. And one night at last, they met in a tiny raw pine cabin hidden in the blizzard frozen marsh hard up against the Arctic Circle. And the wild whirlpool born from that meeting created strange new patterns of human life and death and destiny. All right, Loring. Let's have your other wrist.
4: And there. You don't need these handcuffs. You've got me. That's that. I don't take chances, Loring. You know it already, of course, but you're under arrest in the name of the Crown for murder. You can sit down in that chair by the stove. Thanks. It's funny. I've lived here all winter, and I've had pretty good luck trapping. I've been selling furs to the Indians. In another month, I'd have had enough to go away and meet my wife. Then you come along. Tough luck, Loring. We'll start back for the post in the morning. Or at least as soon as this blizzard lets up. It'll be three days. It always is. What's your name? Brokaw. Sergeant Brokaw. That's kind of funny somehow, today being the day you found me. Glad I did. I hate to be camping out in that blizzard tonight. Uh... What's so funny about today? It's her birthday. I mean, my wife, Jeannie. Here, let me show Hold you. Hold it, Loring. Oh, no, 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 no. That, it's all right. It's just her photograph. Here, let me unwrap it. See? Mm, she's a pretty girl. Yeah, that and everything else, Sergeant. You married? No. That's some of her hair. That curl that's pinned to the picture. Yeah. Great, isn't it? It's like red gold. We got married on her birthday. So today's our wedding anniversary, too. She wanted it that way. She said the best things in her life always happened on her birthday. Yeah, well... Yeah, I... I guess it was crazy. But I was so happy when I got up this morning about what day it was and only two months to go and all. I put two places at the breakfast table and I propped her picture up by one of them. I sat there talking to her while we ate together. (laughs) <laughs> I guess you get like that up here alone I haven't seen a white man for three months I had a little dog for a while but he He died about six weeks ago and there wasn't any chance to get another one Jeannie always liked dogs Dogs and kids You don't mind my talking this way, do you, Sergeant? kind of helps I don't mind Why should I? Well, the thing is, we've always been so blamed crazy about each other. We'd never been apart until this came up. And then we had to be. And in another month or two, we'd, we'd have been back together. It's your own fault, Loring. It's not my concern. My job is to find you and bring you in. I've done part of that, and I will do the rest of it. Maybe so. I warn you right now, Sergeant, I'll make it as tough for you as possible. I'm going to get away if I can. See, I promised her that we'd be together again. It's up to you, Loring. But if you start to play rough, I can play a whole lot rougher. One way or another, I'm going to bring you in to stand trial. And there's nothing can stop me. Maybe so, Sergeant. You see, I'm probably the hardest man in the whole Royal Canadian mounted, Loring. And that's your hard luck, too. Because you might have softened up another man with that stuff you were telling. You think that's why I talked about it? I don't know, and I don't care. The only thing that matters is that I've got a job to do. I always have done it, and I'm going to do it this time. You can depend on that. I guess duty's a big part of your life. Not a big part of it, Loring. It's all of it. Now, if you don't mind, I've come 15 miles through the snow today. Last five against the blizzard. I'm tired. Let's turn in. All right, sure. You can take the bunk. Leave your clothes on. Is it all right if I get that photograph off the table? Go ahead. All right. Put your feet together, huh? What's the chain for? Another reason to call me hard. I'm going to padlock it around your ankles. (laughs) You are cautious. That's that's right, Laurie. There. Call out if you want anything in the night. If you try to get up without calling, I'll kill you. I'll sleep here in the chair. And this gun happens to be cocked. Thanks for warning me. Good night, Sergeant. Good night. By the way, Sergeant Brokaw. Yeah? It's too bad you never got married. Why? Because when you go to sleep, you've nobody to dream about.
5: Billy? Billy, darling. Can you hear me? Yes, Jeannie. Yes, darling. Never mind the blizzard. It doesn't matter. We've been in storms before...
4: Yes, I remember.
5: And today's my birthday. And also the day we were married. Nothing can really hurt us. Everything's going to be all right.
4: Yes, Jeannie. Yes, everything is going to be all right. Billy. Yes, Jeannie.
5: Remember one time in the far... Fall... We built a bonfire and roasted ears of corn. That was in the field back of the cottage.
4: Oh, yes, two years ago. That was on your birthday, too. Yes,
5: yes. And do you remember how the smoke would always get in your eyes? And how it would follow you around and, and make you cough and sneeze?
4: Sure, I remember. <laughs> remember?
5: The smoke, Billy. The smoke. Sure, I remember. Billy... The smoke. <coughs> the
4: smoke. Mm. What? Smoke. The cabin's on fire. Sergeant. Huh? Sergeant Brokaw. Huh? Wake up. The cabin's on fire. Good Lord. Will you get this chain off my feet? I can't walk. No time. The whole roof's on fire. Here. Yeah. Yeah. I'll carry it. Yeah. it. Smokes. Can't see the door. Yeah. Oh, oh, here it is. <sighs> There, looks like we made it. Thanks, sergeant. I gotta get back in there. All our stuff's in there. You can't make it. There goes the roof. Hey, guess you know the spot we're in, Loring. Yes, I know. Our heavy coats, mittens, snowshoes, and all of our food is burning up inside there. Yeah, and it's forty below, and the blizzard's just starting. Here, you can't lie there in the snow. Get that chain off your ankles. There you are. Thanks, Sergeant. What about the handcuffs? Hey, stay on, Loring. Are you crazy? What difference does it make? We haven't a chance. You know that as well as I do. Yeah, I know. We couldn't be any worse off. We don't even have a match. I saw you fill your case and put it in your coat. It's inside there. We don't even have a match. I know that, Loring. And I know everything else you're going to tell me. You don't have enough clothes to keep us from freezing to death. If we stay here and keep the fire going, we'll starve. It's 60 miles to the nearest post and 20 miles to Thoreau's, the next cabin down the trail. We might make 10 miles if we're lucky. More likely 5. That's right. So why the handcuffs? You've been living up here for three months, Loring. I've got an idea. You probably know some cabin a lot closer than Thoreau's. Some Indian or a trapper. Maybe not more than two or three miles away. You want to start breaking trail? Well, suppose I did. What of it? Something good has always happened to me on Jeannie's birthday, and I think it has this time, Sergeant. It's a lot easier to freeze to death than to go back and die the way I'd be doing it. So... So it's like that. It's like that. Unless you want to make a deal... What kind of a deal? Take off these cuffs, give me that revolver, and I'll get you out of this. There's a cabin, all right. Sorry, Loring. No deal. You're a fool, broker. I got nothing to lose, but you're just tossing your life away. How about it? We'll take turns breaking trail. You can lead off first. We may as well start. Where? Toros, of course. Twenty miles. Why don't we sit down and freeze to death here instead of five miles from here? Because I'll be five miles closer to bringing you in. Come on. You're a fool, Sergeant. You're beaten. You know it. Why don't you give in? Come on, Loring. Let's get going. Loring, how far do you think we've come by now? I don't know. Let's rest for a minute. Yeah, I'm pretty winded myself. Five miles, you think? I'd say about four. Sixteen more to Thoreau's. I think we'll make it, Sergeant? We'll try it. we only had some way of building fires, we could stop and get warm once in a while. Not even an Indian could build a fire in this blizzard without matches. Yeah. The wind is slacking off a bit. Which means it'll get colder. Now, we better move on. Sergeant, how about taking off these cuffs? They're freezing to my skin. Look, I'm bleeding on both wrists. Then why don't you take us to that cabin you know about? Want to make that deal? No deal. No deal, no cabin. Then I'm sorry for you, Loring. But the cuffs stay on. Why? What difference can it make? We'll both be dead in two hours anyway. If we are, you'll still be wearing those cuffs. And this gun will still be in my holster. Dead or alive, you'll still be my prisoner. The hardest man in the mountains. Are you ready, Loring? (sighs) Sure, why not? I'll let out for a while. Come on. Let's go.
3: Those who dwell in this frozen land, the bleak, cruel spirit of the north is known best to men on the open trail. There, facing the breath of the blizzard, eyes blinded by the driving sleet, a man feels his soul grow small within him. And when that happens, his mind may turn to strange fantasies and to memories of a faraway voice.
5: Can you hear me, Billy? Yes, Jeannie. Everything's going to be all right, Billy. I love you. And everything's going to be all right. Sure, honey. The snow doesn't matter. And the blizzard doesn't matter. They'll be gone soon. And there will be only us. Yeah.
4: I can see you now standing there at the gate. In front of the cottage?
5: That's right, darling. Don't look at the snow and the icy trees and the storm. Look at me instead. See? Yeah.
4: It's spring. And the sunshine.
5: And I'm wearing my hair the way you've always liked it. It's in curls, all tumbling. See, Billy? Yeah, yeah.
4: Oh, Jeannie, Jeannie. Mm-hmm. Brokaw, Brokaw, what's the matter? Hilda, uh, tired. Well, rest, while. You can't lie there like that. You'll be asleep in five minutes. It'll be the end. Thoros, how much farther? Oh, around fourteen miles. Come about six altogether. Mm. Your, your hands in pretty bad shape. I don't know, Sergeant. I can't feel anything now. Might as well. Take those cuffs off. Stick out your hands. Thanks, Sergeant. Here's my gun. How come? I'm through. Beat. I'm giving in, Loring. Take us to that cabin. (laughs) <laughs> What's wrong with you? You're too late, Sergeant. Uh, what do you mean? The cabin's about two miles from where mine was. We're over four miles from it now. Neither one of us can last another half mile. Yeah, I guess you're right. Well, looks like you win, Loring. You might call it that. It's tough on you, though. I was going to die anyway. Oh. Well, you we may as well keep moving. Why? This is as good a place as any. I'm not going to stop trying as long as I can move. You can do what you like, Gloria. I'm going on. Wait a minute, Sergeant. Uh? If we had a fire and we could get warm for a while, then we could make that cabin without much danger. Yeah, we haven't. Suppose I say the word it'll save both of us, get us out of this. Will you go back to headquarters and tell him I'm dead? No. No, I can't do that. In 12 years of the service, I haven't run up a white flag once. I'm not going to do it now. Dying or no dying. Duty, huh? God, whatever you want. We'll make you a square offer, though. Pull us out of this, and I'll give you 24 hours' head start as soon as we're both on our feet again. You're all right, Brokaw. Funny, I don't even know why I'm doing this. I could have let you go on down the trail there. you'd stumble into a drift and be dead before you'd made half a mile, and I'd have been safe then. Funny, I don't know why I'd do it. Maybe it's on account of her. What's your plan, Larry? What have you got in mind? I'll take the offer of 24 hours, Brokaw. I've got a match. Uh, a match? Yeah, just One. I remember dropping it in my pants pocket yesterday. It's on this side. Maybe you can get to it. Your hands are in better shape than mine. All right. I can't seem to. Yeah, yeah here it is. It's dry too. Don't drop it. It's the only one. Yeah, we gotta have some branches. Right, here. You hold it while I get some off that birch tree. All right. Mash, mash. Don't drop it, Lauren. Hold it carefully. Yeah, I got it. The uh, bark's uh, dry underneath. I ought, ought, to, ought to be all right to start it. That should burn all right. Yeah. We ought to, ought to have some dry paper just to make sure. I've got some. Hold the match. Yeah. Oh, oh, the paper wrapped around that photograph. There you are. Yeah. Funny, I was thinking about her when I remembered the match. I guess she's the one that's really going to light this fire. Well, there it is. You want to strike it? You want me to? You go ahead. My hands are still pretty stiff. All right. You want to have something dry to scratch it on. There's a gun file in my same pocket. Reach in and get it. All right. Yeah. Yeah, here it is. All right. Well. It's up to her now. All right, Jeannie, strike the match. Oh, <gasps> Broko. Oh. Broko, what's the matter? The match. Luring it went out. No. Our only chance, and it went out. So that's that. I, I gotta get moving. I gotta get to Thoreau. Broko, you can't make it. I gotta go As long as I'm alive. I gotta keep going. I gotta keep going. Broko, you don't have a chance. Broko! He's gone. Well, what's the difference, here or half a mile farther? It's not so bad, it's peaceful. Dreamy. So peaceful, it's just like going to sleep.
5: Billy. Don't go to sleep, Billy. Wake up.
4: Everything's going to be all right, Jeannie.
5: Wake up, darling. You can't go to sleep. You've got to wake up.
4: Everything's all right.
5: The smoke, Billy. Don't you remember the smoke? Huh? Huh? We're going to be together again. Open your eyes. Huh? Together again. Open your eyes. Huh?
4: What? Smoke. The fire. It's burning. The spark from that match must have caught. Jeannie. The fire is burning. The fire.
3: So one man finds eternal sleep on the frozen breast of the snow And one man dreams beside a fire Whose tongues of flame are like the red curls of a woman's hair When the blizzard has stripped the little things away And the soul of a man stands facing the blast Clean and bare and alone Then what is right And what is wrong? Does justice depend on the striking of a match? Is human destiny only a thing of accident and of chance? Ask the icy voice of the Arctic storm. Ask the cold, bleak spirit of the great North Woods.
2: Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald, and tonight brought you The Match by James Oliver Kerwood. Adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, with Frank Lovejoy as Billy, Wilms Herbert as Sergeant Brokaw, Cynthia Corley as Jeannie, Nestor Piva as Thorne, and Clark Cuney as the Trooper, with Stan Waxman as the narrator. The musical score was conducted by Wilbur Hatch.
1: Next week... You are trapped on a remote plantation in the crawling Amazon jungle, and an immense river of ravenous ants is closing in on you, swarming in to eat you alive, a deadly black army from which there is no escape.
3: (laughs)
2: Next week, we bring back the escape story you have most requested in your letters Carl Stevenson's gripping tale, Leidengen versus the Ants. Good night, then, until this same time next week, when once again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: that was escape the name of that story was the match and that was first broadcast on may the 16th 1948 isn't it funny how when you are in the middle of summer and you you hear a story where people are freezing to death it's not, it's not quite as bothersome as if you hear the same story in the middle of february right or vice versa if people are just burning up in a desert you know, if you listen to that in February, hey, yeah, that sounds pretty good. But uh, if you listen to it on a hot day in August, eh, not so great. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that story. Okay, what we have coming up now, a tape of a Gene Shepherd show, or at least a segment of a show that he did back, we believe, on the 30th of December, 1965. As far as I know, that date is right. If it's not, it doesn't really matter. Gene Shepard, of course, is the one that wrote In God We Trust All Others, Pay Cash. They made the movie A Christmas Story based on one of the stories in that book. He was a great storyteller. He uh, was on New York radio for many years, on WOR, I believe it was, and he would be on for one hour a night. And he would do basically an ad-lib show. I'm sure he did some preparation. But he would mostly sit there and just tell stories, just him and the microphone. The story you're going to hear tonight, he, he's talking about something that took place in the schoolroom. It might take a little bit before you appreciate why this was uh, such an appropriate selection to play with our escape episode tonight. But once you, once you do, it's going to become very obvious why uh, Chester chose this one and why I concurred. And the sound quality is very listenable. It's not as high a quality as I usually like to play on this show. But believe me, when you hear this story, it's worth it. This is Gene Shepard on his uh, WOR radio program from December the 30th, 1965.
6: You know, have you ever run across in crossword puzzles what they talk about the Icelandic epics? The Icelandic sagas? Nobody writes sagas in Florida. You just don't write a saga when you're sitting on the beach. you know It never occurs to anybody sitting in Bermuda to write a saga. It's only with the wind howls and that that that, Sibelius, that Sibelius sound comes whistling out from from under from under the eaves and you can you can hear those icebergs clattering one against the other. And you're staring off into that gathering gloom of a fantastic, cold, crisp, freezing winter night. That's when the soccer urge is upon a man. That's when the fevered brow of the great Beowulf strides across the land. You know, did, that reminds me, listening to that music, set that back, will you, Skip? Uh, did Have you, have you, any of you, have you, any of you, is, I, I suppose a few of you have. I can understand why some of the greatest short stories have been written about the frozen north. Do you remember Jack London's story? I, I'll never forget one time, I'm a kid, I'm about, oh, I must have been about in eighth grade. In fact, I know it was eighth grade because I remember the teacher who read this story to us. She is standing up in front of the class, Ross sitting there very innocently. And and it was the first time that literature ever got me. A Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy didn't, well, you know, they didn't quite move me. Uh, I was with it, but they didn't move me. Uh, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, they moved me about a millimeter to the right. Uh, the Hardy Boys at the lake. Well, a little bit. The outdoor chums at the White Mountain? Possibly. But one day, Miss Fipe, who was a little dark-haired teacher with rimless glasses in eighth grade, stood up behind her desk, and she said, uh, we have been, you know, we've been reading stuff like Lady of the Lake. We've been reading things like, uh, uh, you know, Ivanhoe, and so on. And she says, today I'm going to read one of my favorite short stories uh kids don't really read short stories they don't assign short stories in uh, in classes they always assign these terrible novels like uh Silas Marner uh, that kind of jazz <laughs> you know they don't they don't tell you to read uh, uh the banana fish uh nothing like that they, they you're always you're always reading some long giant thing about guys running around in armor that kind of stuff and so she says, I am going to read to you a short story, one of my favorite short stories. It was one of those, do you remember in classes when you were in school on those relaxed days when there wasn't really an assignment and some teacher decided just to have a little uh, fooling around time that day? Like, uh, let's just sit and talk today. What are you saying? That really is another way for saying the teacher did not prepare. She had a party the night before. She came in at three in the morning, you know, yelling and hollering and drunk and three guys with her and the whole scene. And so now here it is. It's, it's uh, 11 o'clock the next day and uh, she didn't bring the papers and she forgot and left her assignment book home, the whole bit. And so <laughs> the kids love it. See, and I'm sitting in there with Mrs., Mrs. Fife was a very grim teacher. Uh, she was the teacher who had this hang up. On adverbs and gerunds, uh, she, she was the one who, who constantly nipped at my hocks about this business of, of uh, diagramming sentences. I became the greatest fake sentence diagrammer in the history of the Middle West. To my knowledge, I have never correctly diagrammed the sentence, but I could fake it. I made all these little lines hanging, and I wrote <laughs> and, I, and I used to fake this i I, I never learned what all this diagramming jazz was about and and that was Miss Fife. she was a very grim teacher that kind. she was always talking about parts of speech. Uh, she used to get, line us all up like she'd take two 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 uh, groups out of the class, like she'd divide everybody from m to Z would stand over there, and everybody from A to m would stand on the other side. And they would have a parts of speech contest. Have you ever had that? Where she would uh, she would read out uh, uh, shout out a word like beautiful. All right, now what do you say? Is that an adjective? An adverb? Uh, it was it was it was a variation on the old spelling game. And so it was that. Oh, I used to hate that because always chicks knew all about gerunds and stuff, and I'm always staying Thirty seconds later, I'm sitting in my seat. You, you if you miss, you sat down. You know, I'm always sitting in my seat, and everybody else is battling it out. Well, that was the kind of teacher she was until this day. Miss Fife says, I'm going to read to you. It was an English class, of course. She says, I'm going to read. It's not in our books or anything. I'm going to read a short story to you. And uh, let's see. Here it is. It's from one of my books I brought from home. I just happen to have it with me in my purse. And I'd like to read a short story. Now, all of you sit down. There's not going to be any questions asked on this Nothing to do with assignment. It's just uh, for fun. All right. And she started to read. Now, at at the beginning, she had this cracked old lady English teacher voice. You know the kind that says, "The wind blew out of the north." That kind of voice. The the, the vaguely uh, Norman Vincent Peale preacherish voice. You know the kind of voice that so many. Uh, non-professional readers assume when they read, they go, they read like this: the boy stood on the burning deck, a peck of apples in his hand. You know that kind of voice. <laughs> That's just called the reading voice. Well, she starts out in this reading voice, and all the guys are crying out loud. Well, this mood lasted for I would guess about a minute and a half until it began to soak in what she was reading about. She was reading about a man and a dog. And the man and the dog were in the frozen north. And they were struggling to go somewhere. They were between something and somewhere. He was a a trapper or he was a prospector, and he was with this great dog, a husky. And the wolves were howling in the woods all around him. And it was a story that, that not only grabbed, you could, have, you could have heard, believe me, you could hear the trains howling four miles away in the classroom as she read this story. It was a Jack London story. How many of you remember a story like that? And the guy was freezing to death. He kept falling down and falling asleep. Do you recall that story? And the dog kept tugging at him, trying to wake him up. And then he would drag himself forward and the dog would tug again and wake him up. Do you remember that story? What is the name of that story? I will award a brass fig baggy with bronze oak leaf palm if any victim of those particular stories is, is around and can remember it, the frozen north and the story of that dog and that Jack London hero. Well, she read that story. And we sat there and, and you know, our mouths, even the chicks were with it. And, and, and you, you could feel it because outside, it was wintertime. You could see the snow blowing out of the swamp. There in Indiana. And, and she read this story and kept reading it and reading it and reading it. And then, I would say probably 20 minutes after she started to read, the bell rang. And that was the end of the class. And Mrs. Fife, I'll never forget what it was, what a great, what a great thing that, that lady did. Mrs. Fife said, well, she said, that's the end of the class. She said, I'm afraid. That I just can't finish reading the story. And <laughs> we were. This guy was about to freeze to death. And the, you could hear the, the howling of the wolves. You could hear the wind the screaming down out of the Arctic Circle. And Joshua up on the front, he said, yes, that's the name of it. That's exactly the name of it. That is the name of the story. The story is called Two Matches. He had two safety matches between himself, between his life, and death in the frozen north. And with him was this, was this great dog. And at the end, just as she's she's reading, almost at the end of the story, Skip, she's got the thing, she's got the business with, yes, a little of that Finlandia there, that's right. She's got, she's, he's, she's down there hiding next to the dog. He's trying to get out of the wind, and he's got his last match. He's trying to get a fire started. He knew that if he didn't get this fire started, he couldn't possibly survive in that long Arctic night, his last match. And he strikes it. And that little tiny glow, the temperature 45 below zero, the great dark Arctic night stretching high over him, The flickering of the northern lights and the distant baying of the advancing walls, and that tiny light flickered, flickered for just a moment. And then went out. What a story. And just as that light flickered out, far off somewhere down near the main office, we could hear, ah, the end of the class. And Miss Fife said, well, she says, "Uh, well, and and you could see she was caught up in it too, you know. You could see she was just uh, all caught up in the story. And we all sat there for a minute, and you could hear all the crowd moving up and down that. That great hallway and up, up above us is three stories of kids pouring up and down the staircases. And a couple of guys started to come in for the next class. And she says, well, I guess uh, I won't be able to finish my favorite story. But uh, for those of you who want to finish it. And you'll find this in a volume of short stories down at the library. Well, I'll tell you this, there were thirty seven kids in that class, and she turned thirty seven kids on to reading. That was the the most the most dramatic turn on she she believe me, she 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 turned us on. And I suspect to this very day, there are thirty-seven, there are thirty-six other people who were in Miss Fife's class, who are inveterate readers, who remember that flame flickering in the Arctic wilderness, the sound of that subbelious music roaring through the eaves, as little old Miss Fife, her girdle creaking, her rimless glasses glowing in the in the fluorescent lights of the classroom the blackboard behind her outlining her with the little chalk scribbles all over the parsed sentences the sentence diagrams drifting off down to the floor and up to that point that's what English had meant to us diagramming sentences gerunds Ivanhoe the lady of the lake oh boy and all of a sudden, it meant something else. A man hiding next to a dog with the wind screaming out of the, out of the black evergreens, slowly creeping up on him, and the faint, distant howling of the wolves as that last, tiny match flickered up for an instant. we'll see you tomorrow night for the last show of the
0: new year all right everybody that's going to do it for us for today this is bob bro see you tomorrow with a mystery i'm so glad you stopped by and i'm so glad you met me